So I'm glad you're here today. I have four children, and um, my oldest is Brooklyn. She just got her first car, and she is at home holding down the fort, which gives us about 70% peace of mind. Um, and then I have Jalen, who's turning 14, plays a lot of sports. She's on pace, the pediatrician said, for six foot one. And then I have Eliana Grace, who is my little gentle soul. She's going to be eight next week, this coming week. And then uh, I have Micaiah Solomon, who is my little six-year-old miracle man. He was not in our plans, uh, but thank God that he was in his plans, and we're very blessed with my boy, Micaiah Solomon. And uh, Micaiah struggles uh, with saying several different letters, but predominantly his L and his S's. He struggles to say that, and so we actually put him in. Uh, the teachers requested, even at a younger age, about four, that he would go into speech therapy. And so my wife, for quite a while, would really encourage me to help more with him saying the words. And I guess probably from the start, I didn't realize the seriousness of it until a month turned into six months, turned into a year, turned into two years. And, you know, we've met now with teachers and speech therapists, and the principal come in, signed a bunch of papers with the state of Ohio, and Micaiah struggles to say his S's, so if he was, he's in the back, if he was out here right now, uh, he would tell you things like he loves Piderman, he doesn't like Pankins, he loves spaghetti, and loves ports. That's what he would tell you. Uh, he would, he would, he would, I heard him telling our shuttle driver the other day at the conference I was speaking at about how much fun he has when he gets to court people. And uh, the driver was like, uh, what? Uh, he's saying he loves to squirt them, so he loves anything to do with water. But Micaiah is amazing at sports. And so the teacher said at the end of the year, they had 12 events, and Micaiah came first in eight. Uh, and the teachers were telling me, like, that's just unheard of. You know, we normally never have kids come through that have that much success with sports. But when it comes to his speech, he has just really struggled uh, with his speech. And so... I more recently am helping him more and trying to say those words. And he, he, even in the back, he told me, he's like, Dad, you can tell the story, but only if you tell him I'm doing better at the words, which he is. He's making improvement. He told me in the back. Uh, so I never realized that, you know, how many parents or guardians or grandparents? You got kids, kids, nephews, nieces, any of that going on? Uh, do you ever have to tell your child something the second time? Now, I was raised back in, like, pre-timeout. I was raised, like, before spanking was a sin back then. And it was you didn't always get told the third and fourth and fifth time. But nowadays, you know, kids almost can push it a little bit. My two youngest will tell them, hey, guys, it's time to go to bed. Hey, guys, this, I mean, at the hotel last night we are. Hey, guys, time to go to bed. Hey, guys, turn, time to go to bed. We decided, I decided to make it a competition for my two youngest because Micaiah is so competitive that I thought if I make it a competition, I'm not going to have to tell them a bunch. So I told them, because we'll always, like, they'll come up, and we have what we call the tickle factory, and, you know, I'm going to get them. And, you know, we got, like, workers, and are they working? Are they off? And is it third shift? I mean, it's crazy. You don't have time for all this. You're like, what a weird family. Um, but we have the tickle factory, and, you know, I'll pray with them and all this stuff. So I decided to tell them that this arm over here, there's only two arms for them to come to the tickle factor, and we're going to pray. This arm over here is the good spot. 
I didn't process it well enough with Micaiah's speech that not only does he run for the good spot, but he goes around and tells everyone he loves the good pot. And I don't know about you, but it's arguably not the greatest way for me to be trying to grow a church with my kid going around telling everyone he loves the good pot. The other thing is he's always telling me he's a weeder, so he can't say his L's, but he goes around like, I'm a weeder, and I always have to clarify to people like, leader. Um, But Micaiah, not too long ago, he wanted a spoon. And so he's asking me for a poon. Dad, I want a poon. And in that moment, I've done it numerous times, but in that moment, I thought, okay, buddy, you know, you really got to, like, say this. Come on, look at me. Say, spoon. Come on, buddy. You can do it. Come on. Will you do it for Dad? Let's say it together. Let's say spoon. And I'm really trying, and he's looking at me, and I'm trying to work it a little bit. Like, come on, partner. Will you please say it? Say spoon with Dad. He looks up at me, and he said, give me a fork. (laughs) Give me a fork. I want to talk to you today about don't quit. Don't quit. And I think sometimes in life, if we're not careful, instead of learning how to say spoon, we just want to quit and say fork. Instead of just working through our forgiveness, instead of working through our healing and letting stuff go, instead of like really going the second mile and the second effort, to try to navigate through it if we're not careful. We're just like, give me a new job, give me a new husband or wife, give me a new church, just give me a fork instead of really learning how to say spoon. Everyone say don't quit. Is there anyone here today that you don't want to quit in life? I mean, we live in a society of quitting, and so it's easy for people to quit, right? I mean, they'll just like quit on stuff all of the time. They'll quit on diets. Hello, Right? I mean, people make a ton of money the beginning of the year when everyone's like, you know what, this is my moment. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat better. I heard about the lady. She was on a diet, and she was driving by Dunkin' Donuts. And she told God, I used to work. I used to work at Dunkin' Donuts when I was in high school. People used to always say, like, man, these donuts are, like, so full. Like, they would, like, grab them and stuff would be squirting out lemon and raspberry and cream because I loved it. I mean, I would, like, as far as I could make those and as big before they would pop, that was my job is putting all that stuff in the middle of the donut. But this lady's driving by Dunkin' Donuts, and she told God she was on a diet, but she was just really feeling it. And she's like, okay, God, if it's your will that I go in Dunkin' Donuts and get a donut, I need there to be a parking spot right by the front door. She says she only circled the block 11 times. (laughs) And there was a spot right there. 63% of marriages don't work out. Children giving up all of the time. As we look at God's word this morning, I just want to challenge you that we would not give in to quitting. It's easy to quit. The average pastor stays at a church three years. The average parishioner stays at a church three years. I had someone tell me in the early service today, their family switched churches 30 times. The early service here, their family has switched churches 30 times. Can I just be honest with you that we live in a society where it's getting easier and easier to quit? 
whatever area of your life. And I just want the Holy Spirit to challenge us in the next few moments not to quit. That if you came here today and you're just under pressure and you feel like you're under the gun, that God in the next 20 or 25 minutes is just going to speak to your heart and he's going to challenge you, don't quit. Don't quit. I heard about I heard about a teacher that was working with a student and she was working with this student not to say ain't because he was saying, I ain't going, I ain't going. And she finally started talking to him and said, you know, you shouldn't say, I ain't going. You should say, I am not going. He is not going. We are not going. They are not going. And the student was like, wow, ain't nobody going. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone say, don't quit. These are some actual teacher comments of teachers that quit on students. I I believe it was the New York Times I saw this in. I can't read all of them because some of them are not probably suitable for a church gathering. But I will just read the ones that uh, made the list for Sunday morning. These are teachers that, this is all true, these are teachers that have been reprimanded and corrected by admin. Uh, But these are teachers that are close to quitting on students. Number one, since my last report, your child has reached rock bottom. And it started to dig. Number two, I would not allow this student. Number three, your child has delusions of adequacy. (laughs) Number four, your son sets low personal standards and then consistently. Fails to achieve them. Number five, this child has been working with glue too much. This is not good. Number six, the gates are down. The lights are flashing. This train isn't coming. You know, whether it's a diet, a relationship, your ministry... A teacher, your job, we are all tempted. I mean, I love teachers. We've got principals and admin and teachers and coaches in our church. And, you know, we'll do annual stuff and honor teams and athletes and different stuff in the past. And, you know, I don't don't know in what area of your life, but whether it's your job or your church or your family, we all have a little quit in us. We all have the temptation to give up in some areas. And I think if we look at God's Word, I love the Bible. I think if we look at God's Word, it can show us maybe some of the warning signs of what it looks like to quit and how how we can combat quitting. So for the next 20 minutes, I just want to talk to you from 1 Kings 19. I want to begin to read at verse 1, down through and including verse number 5. Verse number 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. He told her how Elijah had killed with the sword all the men who spoke for Baal. Then Jezebel sent news to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Elijah was afraid. He got up. He ran for his life. 
When he came to Beersheba of Judah, he left his servant there. But he himself traveled for a day into the desert. He came and he sat down under a juniper tree. And there, underneath the tree, theologians and historians would tell you they believe it was a borderline suicidal request. That I'm going to crawl under this tree and I don't want to get up again. I want to die right there. He said, it's enough. Have you ever said that before? I've had, <laughs> I've had enough. My job, the stress, not sleeping at night. Pastor Micah, I've had, I've had enough. And finally, verse 5, when he lay down and slept under the tree, an angel touched him. And the angel said, get up. The thing that Elijah didn't want to do, the angel said to do. The thing that Elijah was actually hoping against, I want to stay down. Have you ever felt like that? Like, I just want to stay down. Don't even try to get me up again. I don't want to send out another resume. I don't want to do another application. I don't want to try to forgive them again. Don't tell me God has big plans for my life. I'm done. And the angel said, actually, uh, I need you to get up again. I want to talk to you about don't quit. Don't quit. There's some things in this story that I think we could all relate to. It's thousands of years old, but I think we could put ourselves into the shoes of Elijah and track. How does this happen? The prior page, he's doing amazing things for God. I mean, he's calling fire from heaven. You talk about someone in the Old Testament who is notable. I mean, we are thousands of years removed, and people will still write songs. You know, These are the days of Elijah, and they'll preach about Elijah. How, how do you go from doing amazing things for God to wanting to crawl under a tree and saying, I am done? I think the story tells us. The first thing that I would say is this, that I quit when I'm not valued. I quit when I'm not valued. I quit when I'm not valued. I definitely would never want to embarrass my friend. He's one of my good friends. But Pastor Joe is transitioning right now from one church to his next phase of ministry. And so even this morning when I introduced him, I heard someone say, you know, well, what's your church name right now? And he's just in a season of transition. Well, I don't have a church right now. But I, I specifically... And very, very, it's, it's not just like off the cuff, I would never not call him Pastor Joe. Even though he doesn't know his next step, it's not determined by that. To me, it's the call of God on his life. He's Pastor Joe to me. I, so on another hand, I, my pastor in Seattle, he runs seven or 8,000. I think Easter had 18,000. His name is Kevin Gerald. I call him Pastor Kevin. When I hear people call him Kev or Kevin, my wife would tell you it just like goes all through me because he's not Kev to me. He, I'm not looking for a buddy or a pal. I'm not looking for like a chest bump or like, hey, he's my pastor. He's the one that asked me, how's Angel doing? There's no one who has had as tough a conversations with me as Pastor Kevin Gerald. There's one time a few years ago my wife would tell you I was staying in his basement he had some tough conversations with me. I went in the basement. I called Angel. I said, I'm changing my flight, and I'm coming home. I'm not putting up with this no more. He laughs about it now when I tell him, and I'm glad I stayed. I wanted to change my flight, 
But I stuck it out three or four more days and came home and realized, you know what, I think he's right. He was pointing out stuff in my life and in my church I needed to change, and I really didn't want to hear it. But he's Pastor Kevin to me. I've done 300 weddings. I started in Bible college in 1990, and so over 26 years, you meet a lot of people, you go a lot of places. I've done a lot of weddings. And when you look at statistically, 63% of marriages don't work out. I would venture to say in this first point about value, I think a lot of marriages fail because somewhere along the line, we stop we stop valuing our spouse. That you could have women that are saying like, hey, like I'm working my tail off. You know, I'm trying to raise kids. I'm juggling sports schedules. I'm making dinner. I've got dishes. You know, the phone's ringing, and then I've got this appointment, and this dentist and doctor, and no one even appreciates. Right? Come on, ladies. This is your chance to go crazy. Like, if you're looking for a moment to, like, move, this is it. No one cares. I know men. I know men that work their butt off. I mean long hours. The reason that some families are living with a roof over their head and groceries in the refrigerator and a car that's starting is because someone's working third shift, someone's staying, taking overtime. They could have been at the lake, but they're like, hey, I'll take Saturday because they want to pay for a kid to go to camp or a kid to have new cleats or a ball glove. And I know men that could go weeks and months without ever hearing. I mean months without anyone ever saying, hey, thanks, man, for real, seriously. I appreciate the fact the car had gas in it. I'm thankful you got an oil change. Thanks for taking the trash out. Hey, I really appreciate what you did for my family because we lean so much into negativity. Why did you forget this? How come you came home without this? Why didn't the trash get taken out? And we're so good at being critical and even nagging. We're not always good at placing value. I mean, if someone does something wrong with the kids' ministry today, oh, we'll give them a piece of our mind. Don't you? I mean, if the coffee's cold, right, if someone didn't hold the door open, right, we can let people know, man, it's stinking loud up there today. Well, what was going on with that? How come the screens and the words and the ground, well, like, what's going If something's wrong in our life, we have no problem telling our employer. We have no problem telling our neighbor. We have no problem telling that coach on the little league team, hey, you're not going to treat Johnny like that. Like, we're out of here. I don't, he's not batting seventh on the team. Right? You have no problem being negative, but we all, if we're not careful, we struggle with being positive and adding that when we're checking our kid out today and we're telling the kid's coordinator, the kid's pastor, and all the workers, hey, I just want to thank you for sharing Jesus with the kids. They're almost caught off guard like, oh, what's going on? No, no, I just want to thank you. They say statistically 85% of children accept Christ before the age of 12, and I just, what's her name? Is it Pastor Kim? Yeah, I just want to thank you that every week you're putting the time, the effort, the energy, the hours into it. My kid comes home. You know what my kid did? Hold on just a second. 
This is what my kid gave me after the first service today, Eliana Grace. She's seven. When I went out, she's like, Dad, I made this back in the back for you. This is, I have a memory box under my bed with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things. Anything you can think of, seashells, broken casts, stuff from school. I put everything. I'm, I've outgrown one box. I'm on number two, and I love this box. Probably the most. I have over 100 autographed jerseys, not that you even care right now, but the most valuable thing is my box. It's more important than anything else. I love this box. Here's what it says. I love the Lord. My seven-year-old made this this morning, first service. I love this going in my memory box. And so instead of us living a life that is always leaning into the other stuff that we don't always appreciate and everything and the stuff that we wish was better, what would happen if we made a commitment today to valuing people and honoring people? Can I tell you that I honestly believe not only would it change the culture of our life in general, there'd be less quitting. There'd be less people saying, I'm not working in the nursery anymore. I'm, don't put me on the schedule. I'm not babysitting. I'm not taking care of a bunch of crying brats. I'm not being back there while you're out here enjoying the good stuff. For big people, there would be a lot less quitting, whether it's the parking lot, the cafe, the kids' ministry, your job, your business, your little sports teams, and those coaches volunteering for free. There'd be a lot less quitters if we added more Fifteen hundred pastors leave ministry a month. Fifteen hundred. I don't think any pastors are leaving. Let, let's just say it in a general sense. I know there's exceptions to every rule. Some people maybe you need to get out of your marriage or job or church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking generally today. I think pastors, when the average is that that every three years they leave, I think a lot of pastors get frustrated and leave because they don't feel valued. I really believe that. You know, I have numerous people do this. Now, my birthday in October's Pastor Appreciation Month, and our church has really grown into just like really, I don't know, it just sort of pumps my tires. But this is the amazing part about pastoring is I will have, and I had a great time yesterday, by the way. I'll have people that will do this. People will come up to me and be like, Pastor Micah, I know a lot of people tell you this, but I really love service today. Here's what I always need to stop and do, and I have with a few. Actually, you're wrong. A lot of people don't tell me that. So cut that out. Of, a lot of people don't say that. Here's the opposite of it. We're on TV four times a week, and we have live streaming, and we're on the radio, and I do 10 power minutes a day, and I'm trying to juggle four kids and family, and then trying to coach and doing all this other stuff I'm doing. My wife would tell you I hate eating out on Sundays, my team that helps me, my pastor assistant team would tell you, I go to my truck most Sundays. I've sat in the parking lot up to an hour before, feeling so drained, so empty, gave out so much in three services and focused on our other campus and TV cameras and did I look the wrong way. Sometimes I will literally sit there thinking, I shouldn't have said that. I wish I'd have said that. And then when someone comes up and they're like, hey, I know everyone tells you this. No, let me tell you what they actually say. They'll tell me, hey, my live stream cut out. We couldn't get on the internet. There wasn't enough Wi-Fi in there. The kids' check-in line was 30 people deep. Is there any way we could get another computer? And how come the sound was doing this? And I hear all kinds of stuff, but I don't always hear. That was a great service today, and God's presence touched me, and my marriage is better, and I'm a better person because of your church. And you know what? I don't think I'd sit in my truck for an hour if I heard more
I went up to the coordinator, and this is not in my notes. I'm almost out of time, and I haven't really made any points yet. You really should have come to the 10 a.m. one. It actually wasn't bad, honestly. Like, if you're going to get the cert, put that one on the podcast. Do 10 a.m. for sure. I went up to the coordinator of our little league teams in town and, and U8s and all this stuff, and I told him a couple weeks ago, I said, his name's Chris Holler, and I don't even think he's a believer, goes to church, but I said, Chris, I said, I want to pay for the year-end party. I want you to have a year-end party, all the coaches, all the volunteers, everything, whatever it is, you send the bill to me. I want to pay for all of it. He's so caught off guard when I said it, like, what? I said, no, I'm serious. Like, I've been down here with my kids, and some of the same coaches and faces I see night after night after. I don't know how they're doing it, to be honest with you. Night after night after night after night. And I asked Chris, do they get anything? Do they get a gift card? Do they get, like, anything, a stipend? Zero. But you know what I've also heard every night? I've heard parents chirping every single game. Why are we doing this? How come this kid isn't playing? Why are they being rotated? Why do they only play the good players? Why do you call that? Can I just tell you in society in general, there are people right now wanting to quit their jobs. If you were honest today, some people have thought about quitting their jobs because they're like, I'm tired of coming here day after day after day and no one appreciates what I'm doing. I'm working my butt off for this company and no one values. Our whole world, our churches, our marriages, our jobs, our businesses would be, be it would be better if we had more Value. I got to at least say something to you before you go today. Everyone say value. Second reason I think we quit is I quit when they say. I quit when they say. I quit when they say. There are people that have quit in life, in ministry, because of what someone said. Now, we hear from a young child, we hear things like sticks and stones. What a lie. Right? What a lie. There's people that are 40 and 50 and 60 years old that's still dealing with stuff that was said to them as a child. You're stupid. You're dumb. You're an idiot. You'll never amount to anything. You don't have an athletic bone. Your body, right? And people years later, they're looking in the mirror of life. And they're like, yeah, you know what? Maybe they're right. Like, maybe I'm not all that. Maybe I'm less than. Maybe I'm second rate. And if you're not careful, how does Elijah go from up here? Come on, stay with me just for another moment or two. From up here to down there. Because of what one woman says. She said this, and she said that, and then he crawls under a tree. And then I think how some of you have had your day ruined over Facebook. That you were doing fine until you logged on, until you saw someone's post and what they... You see, people quit over what they said. It doesn't matter what area of your life it's in. Maybe you were wounded in church. Maybe you were wounded, but I can't believe you did that of all people. I never thought anyone would let me down. I didn't think anyone would drop the ball. Never dreamed it would be you. 
It's amazing what happens to our hearts and our minds over what someone says. There's a woman that went to the doctor's appointment with her husband. The doctor ran all kinds of tests on her husband. He had been feeling good and had some issues going on, ran all kinds of tests. And the doctor, the doctor called the couple back in and, and is going to give them the results. And the doctor doesn't even ask the husband to come in the office and it's, it's the tester on him. She just asked the wife to come in, closes the door. The doctor tells the wife, he said, listen, if you want your husband to survive, You've got to make them an amazing breakfast every morning. You have to stop nagging. I mean, lunch has to be out of this world. Don't give them a bunch of errands and to-do lists. I need you to give them intimacy and passion. Let them rest in the afternoon, and I need dinner to be amazing. The wife walked out of the office. They get in the car. They're driving home. The husband's on the edge of his seat. He said, honey, you got to tell me, like, what did he say? What's going on? She looked at her husband and said, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. <laughs> Number three, I quit when I lose long-term vision. I quit when I lose long-term vision. Short version of the story, a couple years ago, my dad had a massive heart attack, blocked in five areas. His main artery where the widow maker and stuff could take place, I had, they said it was so hard it was like clay. They told my dad he had 12 surgeons. They said there's nothing we can do. There is no options. Even multiple bypass, it can't be done. They sent my dad home, and my dad sold his two motorcycles and started giving stuff away and picked out the songs he wanted at his funeral and who he wanted to be pallbearers and it was a very difficult time for my mom and my sister and I just going through all of that. And actually, there was some moments of frustration. I remember emailing my dad one night because I was praying for a miracle. I remember emailing my dad one night. And I said, Dad, it's very difficult for us to pray for victory when you're planning for defeat. We're praying for God to do something awesome, and you're picking out pallbearers. We're asking God for a turnaround. You're selling your BMW and your Harley. What are you doing? But here's my point, Elijah. Watch what Jezebel said. By this time tomorrow, you're dead. And it don't matter if it's a doctor or CNN or politics or terror or fear. Doesn't matter what it is. They could tell you we're doing layoffs at the company. And the moment that you let Jezebel or anyone else dictate your tomorrow, you're going to climb under a tree. You're going to let fear get a hold of you. You're going to want to quit and throw in the towel. But here's the news that I think not only applies to Elijah, but to all of us. Jezebel, you don't have the authority to speak over Elijah's life that you're going to be dead by this time tomorrow. You see, CNN doesn't order my steps or your steps. Fox News doesn't determine my faith. I don't log on to Facebook to see if God's still in charge. There is no one that orders my steps but God. He is the first. He is the last. He's the beginning. He's the end. He is the author and he is the finisher of my faith. You can't tell me you're killing me tomorrow and there's no doctor that can tell my dad there's no hope. 
We vacationed together last week. It's been several years. Had a young doctor take a chance on him. He's lost a bunch of weight. He's working out. He's doing really good overall. The truth of the matter is, Elijah, the moment you start listening to the other voices, God will never use you. You're not qualified enough. You're divorced. You went bankrupt. You don't meet the qualifications. You got too bad of a past. The moment you start letting the Jezebels of your life Speak into your spirit. Can I tell you, you'll end up under a tree. Hear my heart of love today. You'll be under a tree listening to the wrong voices. I quit. I quit when I let that fear get a hold of me and when I let someone tell me I have no hope for tomorrow. We just broke ground the other day. We're building a new auditorium. Seats 1,400 people. We're giving our entire current facility, 36,000 square feet. We're giving it to our students and our children. Got about 100, 150 students. I have 38 interns. Last quarter, we had 752 little kids. I only say that because when we are planning to build, I've had, you know, not a ton, but I've had numerous people that have come up and questioned me on it. Pastor Mike, are you sure we should be doing this? Have you looked at the news? I mean, do you see the terror? See people shooting each other up? I mean, it's crazy, right? And I agree. If I was to listen to all that, I'd start second-guessing if I should have had four kids and even brought them into this world. If I start listening to all of that, then I want to crawl under a tree and not do anything. But it is very unfair. Come on, just let me speak to your heart today. It's very unfair to all of those little kids and my daughter telling me at seven, she wants to be a worship pastor. She's seven. She already told me, Dad, you think at 16 that I can be an intern at the church? It's very unfair for us to tell this generation, there's no hope tomorrow. There's no hope next month. There's no hope next year. The whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. Evil's going to triumph over good, and you guys are all going to get the shaft. Can I tell you this? I'm not telling this generation that. I'm going to tell them what where sin does abound, grace does much more. Come on, is there anyone that believes in your tomorrow? Do you believe God's still in charge? Do you believe God's going to have the final say? I quit. You'll quit when you lose long-term vision. The Bible says he was afraid. I quit when I'm, I don't have time to get into this, but I quit when I'm afraid, and you'll quit when you're afraid. Number five, I quit when I'm alone. I quit when I'm alone. Do you see it in the story where he left his servant there? Devin, will you help me? I mean, I appreciate even today you've been helping me and hanging out with me, and I appreciate guys that are willing to serve. That's a big deal. Bible says the greatest of all is a servant of all. When you and I are like serving and helping and holding the door and a big deal. I think it gets heaven's attention. So Elijah is doing amazing miracles, Joy. And in all of these miracles, it references, it references the servant. I mean, they're going to see rain and, you know, the servant's there. And they call fire from heaven and the servant's there. It's really, really cool, actually. But in this particular part of his spiritual journey, the writer is very clear to tell us that in this depressing, fearful, down kind of moment that he decides to say, Devin, I need you to stay right here, and 
I'm going to go over here. You stay there, okay? But I'm going to go over here. Can I tell you that people quit when they are alone? Now, I know this sounds super churchy, pastory, like Pastor Micah, yeah, I know. this. You've got to say that. That's what you're a pastor, right? That's what you do. You know, work one day a week and eat chicken. I get it. Some people say I do, which they're right about the chicken. I love chicken. I'm going to eat chicken today probably. (laughs) Sorry, that's not in my notes, but I do love chicken. (laughs) Here's the pastor thing to say. Guys, come to the men's breakfast at Cracker Barrel on Saturday. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? Saturday's like my one day. I get a little bit of time. Breakfast? Why drive 30 minutes to Cracker Barrel to eat breakfast? Hey, guys, I'll come and play kickball Friday night. Pull a hamstring. It's going to be amazing. Guys, we're going to do a ladies group or ladies trip or ladies. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. Hey, come to church on a Sunday. Be part of a small group. Serve. Get plugged in. Don't that sound really churchy? Here's the truth. It's not churchy at all when it comes to the religious side of it. Like, oh, God, I got to go again, I guess. Here they want me over here again. It is so much more than that. Can I just tell you, in 26 years of ministry and the hundreds of weddings and watching people come and go, that people quit when they are alone. Here's what I don't believe for one second, and I'm almost done. I've had, I think I've had three closings, right? My third one is always the real one. Anytime I say I'm closing the third time, that's the real one. I think I said it three times, right? So this is like the real one. Um... Here's what I don't believe for one second. I don't believe if Elijah would have come under the tree and had his servant there, and he's like, I just want to die. I want suicide. I want to quit. I'm finished. I'm walking out on my marriage. I'm quitting my job. I'm done with my ministry. I don't care about my kids anymore. I've had it up to here. I don't believe for one second that Devin would let me do that. I would never let your pastor do that. If he called me and told me, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm walking, I'm stressed out, I'd be like, absolutely not. Yeah, but we've been broken into twice and just craziness going on. And in- I will drive down there right now. I'm not kidding. You're not quitting. There's great days ahead. God has too many awesome things to do. Our best days. Come on, do you believe that today? <laughs> Pastor Joe, God has amazing things for your life. We're not going to die under a tree. That's not our final destination. Boy, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. You quit when you're alone. Thank you, Devin. You've been great today, by the way. I quit when I'm alone. The Bible says he got down and he got under. When you're down and under, that's when people quit. I'm under, you'll be on your job, you'll be like, I'm under so much, I'm under so much stress, I'm under so much pressure. How are you doing today? Well, under the circumstances, what do you mean under the circumstances? What's that mean? But you'll quit when you're down and under. Here's the good news about God's grace. I see some of you wiping tears. I love this about God, that while Elijah's quitting, God's coming. I'm glad 
that God just don't stick with Micah when I'm always like, fire from heaven, come on rain and miracle. There's been times I've been under the tree saying, sitting in my truck like, God, I've had it. I'm done, I'm under, I'm finished. But here's the good thing about God's grace, that while you're quitting, he is coming. Is there anyone that's ever had God show up even in your low points of life? I've had people tell me, Pastor Micah, you know, numerous guys have said this, you know, like I was trying to run from God. I was sitting in a bar. I was like, you know, I've had it with all of that. And then right beside me, some guy sits down, just wouldn't shut up about Jesus. I've had people tell me that. I mean, you could go on vacation, go on a cruise, sitting by the pool, and you just have to get the chair by the religious person. Like, I'm trying to get away from you, actually. But here's the thing about God. You can try to get away all you want, vacation, get a new job, get a new house, leave Devin, leave the servant, be like, you know what, I'm so done with that. But the psalmist said, even if you go to the uttermost part, here comes the angel. He said, I want to stay down. The angel said, no, you need to get back up. I'm finished. No, I've got more for you to do. I'm throwing in the towel. No, I'm going to have you find an Elisha. I'm going to just, here's the amazing thing about God. Even this morning, he's finding someone today. I know it's summer. I know all of that. But I'm very confident that someone came to church today. God is pressing pause on everything in your life to tell you, I'm not letting you quit. I'm not letting you quit. Not letting you quit on your child. Not letting you quit on your ministry. Not letting you quit on your joy. Somebody's like, I'll never be able to forgive them. No, stop saying that. You are going to forgive them. God is going to help you do it right now. We're going to pray a prayer right now that's going to get you back up from under that tree. You're not a quitter. I know you want to say, Give me a fork. I know you want to do that. I know you want to say, give me a fork. But someone needs to determine right now in the presence of God. I'm not saying fork. I'm going to get through this right now. I'm going to say spoon. God, you are going to help me get through this right now. Come on, do it. You don't have to quit. Will you close your eyes with me, please? No one looking around. This is such a holy moment. Please, no one looking around. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I just want to pray with you.